a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the RacerX Online podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Of course, I'm Steve Mathis with you uh, delivering some uh, some audio uh, tunes for you to enjoy, whether you're exercising or whether you're driving a car or whatever. Thanks for listening, everybody. RacerXOnline.com forward slash subscribe. Get the latest issue with the Austin Stroop story, among other things. And, of course, Fox Racing. The official gear of this podcast, Ryan Dungey, Kenny Rocks, and just some of the guys that wear Fox Racing, foxhead.com. Visit your local authorized Fox dealer, 2016 Flex Air, out now, as well as the uh, glow-in-the-dark gear that uh, Kenny Rocks had debuted a couple weeks ago. Fox Racing, uh, global innovation leader in motocross racewear. All right, guys, I'm very excited about uh, doing this podcast here. It's a guy that I've admired from far for a long time, me being a mechanic for... 12 years for different teams, including FMF Honda in 98, where, where I actually was scared to speak to this guy. Um, but uh, I'm happy to have uh, the great Cliff White. Cliff, what's going on? Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're certainly welcome. I don't know about the great part. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Well, you have, okay, I think you have seven titles. Uh, you got one with, you got uh, uh, three with Bailey. You got three with JMB. You got one with George Holland. Am I missing any? Uh, did you well, work for Hanson? Did you work for Hanson? I don't think so. That no, year. I didn't. Right. That was okay. Brian Lennis was, yeah. was working with Hanson. All right, so I wasn't um, quite sure. So I think you have seven titles, Cliff. I, I won one national at KTM, so mm-hmm. you're great in my books. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years the AMA had uh, this overall title, which was a combination of points. True, with, yeah. Uh, uh, all, all that you got through the whole year, and uh, then Bailey and I won a couple of those. So. Oh, wait, I missed Bailey's 500 title in 84. He, that's true. He had a 500 uh, okay. title See? as well. Yeah, yeah he, he and Brock, toe-to-toe. Right, yeah. right. Um, what's been going on with you these days? What's happening? Do you get to the races much? I haven't seen you. Uh, I hear you're around, but uh, how's retired life? How's retired life? <laughs> Uh, retired life is good. Um, I, I only went to one race since I retired. Uh, well, I kind of came late and left early to uh, one of the Anaheim rounds a number mm-hmm. of years back. Uh, shook, you know, see see some people that I hadn't seen in a long time, and that's the only race that I've attended. And uh, I, for a number of years, I didn't pay much attention television wise even but oh, now okay. i yep. i tune into all most of the supercross races that i if i'm uh, around on a saturday night and watch watch what goes on with supercross you know the few riders that i still that i know personally are dwindling quickly but uh, <laughs> i like to keep up on the new guys too and yeah and uh, a lot of the mechanics i i have uh 
that are still in the sport I know or had uh, some dealing with in my tenure there. So yeah, there's um, there's a a ton of new guys, like you said, going on. Mm -hmm, Um, Sure, I guess when you're Look, from what I can tell, you started doing it around the mid-70s. Um, you left uh, 2008? Did I, did I get that right? Uh, sounds about right. Yeah. 2008, 2009. Right. So, yeah, I, I kind of got away from the racing, um, going to the races every week. Mm-hmm. And I was I was working pretty much at the at the race department, working on large projects that uh, the team needed uh Put together, been kind of sitting around for a while. We we uh, planned and purchased and assembled and installed our own suspension dyno, which big machine. I worked on all of that. Okay, uh, get, getting it up and running, and the engine dyno that that we had purchased and had sitting around for a few years. That uh, I got, took on that project and uh, got that in through completion so I could use that. So things like that, it mm-hmm. kept me in the office um, and off of the road, which was, which was fine for <laughs> well, me. <laughs> yeah, what I, was gonna, what I was saying was like, so you do it from the mid-70s to 08. You're in this mm-hmm. motorcycle racing. You, and, you know, as a mechanic, I know you live and breathe it. So for you to just kind of sure. not pay much attention, I get it. <laughs> I understand where you're yeah. just like, hey, I'm going to do other things. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have to admit I was getting pretty burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, just the traveling, uh, I, I didn't really burn out of the competition, but you know, I always loved that part was racing against other people and trying to beat them. That was the motivating sure. factor my whole career. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of the travel was getting me down. My wife had developed a disease that was fairly severe, so... I needed to kind of pay more attention mm-hmm. to home, and um, it really also tell you the truth. I was just tired of seeing riders sustain some pretty critical injuries. You know, Fonseca, which yep. was a good friend, was kind of the last straw. Uh, you know, it just hit me hard on the accumulation of all sure. friends that had seen seen injuries, and I was so afraid that I'd see somebody else that I was uh, a good friend with in racing like Ricky or Kevin or somebody mm-hmm. get, or Jeremy get injured doing something in practice or racing. I, was, I, I didn't want to see any more of that, so I really had to kind of step away and I'd had enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Point of that, that kind of thing. I, so. I can't say I blame you. Um, can, yeah. Can you, um, like, okay, so I quit being a mechanic in... Uh, Oh six, and I was at Yamaha, and we were doing motors. We were changing our own tires. You know, McCarty always had us changing our own tires, and sure. you know, we were just doing a bunch of things like that. Um, nowadays, and I just, you know, I'm still in the pits as working for Racer X, and mm-hmm. I, and these guys are my buddies, these mechanics. But Cliff, and I'm not trying to bag on them, but the, the the job of a mechanic nowadays is so different from what you were doing in your heyday. It's phenomenal. These guys don't do motors. They don't do suspension. Um, a lot of the guys have practice bike mechanics, so you're not really working on that. Um, more than ever, a role of a mechanic, there's, you know, there's a huge staffs now. More mm-hmm. than ever, the mechanic role is so inconsequential, I find, these days. And I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but it's so different from what it used to be. Well, I don't know, even consequential, mm-hmm. but it is, it is different. But that's how sports evolve. 
you know, as the sport grew from uh, when I started, it was it was pretty amateurish in comparison to today. Mm-hmm. And the teams, you know, when I got into it, the first time I started racing, I went up to Canada with some uh, some friends. Uh, one had gotten a job with Kawasaki Importer. Mm-hmm. And said, hey, come along, you can be mechanic, we have a big team and all this. Well, they didn't have any plans on having any mechanics. (laughs) They expected riders to do their own work at the race and on their own bikes for practice and everything else. So the the thought of having the actual dedicated mechanic was more than they were prepared for at the time. You know, the U.S. boys certainly had gotten into that. Right. Uh, so it was kind of something that they had to kind of accept and put me in place. And, of course, I showed them my capabilities Mm -hmm. and uh, what I could do for the team. And, of course, then the riders, boy, if they could get some help, they were all about that. So so it all worked out in my favor so that they took me on board. But, um, you know, things evolved all from there, uh, you know, and when uh, when I started at Honda, I was a rider and a mechanic, and the mechanic was expected to do everything other than ride the motorcycle, and that's what we learned to do. We did our own, even our own fabrication, our yeah. own other parts, creating pieces and dreaming up new ideas and all of this as well. Mm-hmm as well as driving the box van and trying to get it down the road. If it would break, I'd crawl under there and repair (laughs) it. And uh, you had to be able to do pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And people that couldn't kind of be multifaceted, uh, they didn't survive. But uh, it evolves, and I was part of that evolution. I I created big teams on Honda, and I convinced them, well, we needed special people. The things Mm -hmm. are getting more complicated. The competition is doing this. We need to have two trucks on the road. We need to have dedicated engine guys. We needed to have dedicated suspension guys. So I pushed for all that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And to lessen the load on the mechanics and give them a little more time away from the racetrack so they didn't burn out so bad with all the races they had to do. And so I was looking, really looking out for the best interest of everybody as long as I could convince um, the people that... Write the checks? <laughs> write the checks, uh, you know, to, to let us have that opportunity and, and try and explain why these guys needed a break so we needed more people to help us do this and that. Mm-hmm. And it sort of it just kept building and building as time went by. More people that were specialized in certain areas as other racing, uh, auto racing or anything, had, did the same thing, went through the same yeah. evolution. So I kind of use those as examples on how to better our team by having people that just spent time doing chassis you know, and keeping track of every setting, and we got into such detail on all of that. But you had to have somebody that dedicated the time, and also data acquisition was in its infancy. And we want, I wanted to really get more involved in data acquisition, try to understand more that goes on, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, camera work or whatever. Uh, things that we could, ideas that we could come up with to help us learn more. And so it took people that just 
spent time because you have so much data that you're getting. You really yeah. have to have people spend time just analyzing that and putting it together and uh, understanding what you're trying to look for and then telling you what uh, what we think we should learn from this. And I was trying to run the whole deal, so I couldn't spend the time doing all that. I had yeah. people that were dedicated and could come to me in a meeting and say, this is what we've seen here and this is what the writer's doing here. And so it just became a, a lot larger effort, and uh, now it's, you know, the same type I can see. But it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily any easier. Uh, still a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Just different. Yeah. yeah I, didn't have, I didn't have tire fitters. I, I never had anybody put tires <laughs> no. on for me. I, I didn't trust anybody else, I guess. Yeah. But in Europe, it was fairly common, and we'd see, see it over there, and uh, you know, it eventually kind of worked its way into the U.S., and finally we said, well, these guys are really good at their job at putting these tires on, and I trust them to do the work, and so let's, let's let them do mm-hmm. it, and we'll spend our time doing yeah. other things that we need to do. Yeah, do you remember when uh, JMB's brakes were going at Glen Helen at the USGP, and you, like, mm-hmm. hand-fabricated this scoop to cool the rear brake off? <laughs> like, Well, yeah, he had a particular requirement, and I'll tell you, we, uh, we worked long and hard to try to resolve his... Uh, his problems, but you know, yeah, you just. But like my I point, guess my, I just had yeah. years and years of experience, uh, just learning how to do all that. And when up something came up, I could kind of whittle something out myself, <laughs> figure it out as needed at the time. But, and uh, but like nowadays, like nowadays, like okay, so the guy goes, "Hey, my rider's complaining of rear brakes. I made this scoop up. I'm going to put it on the rear caliper. Hold on, let's meet about it. Let's talk about it. Like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like it's such a different deal now. Let's look at the data for the brakes. Let's, you know what I mean? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. It's so different. It, it, yeah, it's so different. So, so there's there's some good mechanics and good people out there that can that are creative. Uh, right. I suppose you know we didn't have a whole lot of those either, but some mm-hmm. of us just because I guess we were good at it, or we had spent so had so much experience at mm-hmm. it, we could we could dream dream and whittle something up at the spur of the moment. And maybe we were I was forced to because I, you know when I had to do everything, yeah, I had you were to, the guy. Uh, you know the I remember building a. And, a lot of different pieces at the time, you know, the rider's leg was getting burnt because the exhaust pipe didn't have any heat shield. Mm-hmm. And so we threw something together between motos and got him out there. And uh, yeah, riders, you know, they'd get confident in you because you could fix their troubles. Yeah. And when they had them and they go, dang, these guys are good. <laughs> and uh, they had, had a lot of trust in your ability to give them the best, uh, the best, the best tool for yeah. at the time. So, um, the, the production rule. Obviously, you worked in the glory days of work bikes, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Honda probably had the best and the greatest. And production rule comes into '86. We're still mm-hmm. at the point now. The production rule is still there. Cases stay the same. Swing arms, frames, these type sure. of things. Uh, gas tanks. Guys are pushing the boundaries. But for the most part, we have this rule. Did you? 
looking back on it, what did you think at the time when they said we're going to production? And it was funny because it was almost like we're going to production because Honda's bikes are too good. And then the production rule came and Honda was even better, which is funny. Um, but, <laughs> well. but what did you think of at the time and what do you think of now? Do you, do you like the rules still? Should we go back to these one-off bikes? Well, you know, I cried because I loved the innovation that came from uh, no holds barred, you know. Mm -hmm. And so Honda, they decided uh, a little while after I started there, their stuff wasn't all that good when Mm -hmm. I started. You know, and they they had a group of semi-dedicated engineers. There was no real race team or motocross effort it was a little bit of a mismatch thing mm-hmm. in, in japan and all of a sudden one year they I guess they decided ah, we're going to kick everybody's butt here <laughs> so uh there's there's a huge pile of money and so we're going to build this corporation called honda racing corporation and we're going to get a bunch of our best engineers dedicated to it and then we're going to go and show what technology Honda can have, mm-hmm. what they can produce. What they can do, yeah. So, uh, fortunately, I got right in in the heyday of that. And the stuff was just, well, a lot of it didn't work, but a lot of it did. <laughs> a lot of it, it was did, so right. Crea- we had some really creative mm-hmm. uh, engineers and, and managers that had come from Honda's glory road race six-cylinder 250 days and stuff mm-hmm. into the motocross. So they just you know, had free hand at just being real creative. Uh, so, boy, I hated, uh, and so much evolved, so many new things uh, you, that we and other companies came up with, suspension designs and right. engine stuff, and um, it was it was so fun to be in that evolution. And so I I was sad to see it go. And But all the companies came to the point where, hey, we, we can't afford to spend this kind of money anymore. So Honda, as well as the other companies, I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, they said, well, you know, it's fine with us because uh, we just, you know, it's going to save us a ton of money. Right. And Honda was going, all Japan was going through, uh, you know, big wage increases and unions were getting started. So they didn't have the, their pockets weren't nearly as deep as they had used yeah, they to, were. They used yeah. to be. So they were kind of glad to see that. And so I kind of had to understand, but I'm still sad to see it go because mm-hmm. I knew that uh, there was so much more that could be done. You know, and now our hands were tied, and um, we just happened to have, when all this happened, we had a really good production bike at the time, and um, our engineers were the same guys, so they could take, well, our hands are tied, but I think we can do all of this stuff around the rules and work work Mm -hmm. in it and still have a pretty good machine, and it turned out that they could, but... You know, there were a lot of years when it wasn't that way, and we had a lousy bike, and you know, and they hadn't really changed it for a few years. So other people had involved in front of us, and mm-hmm. we were struggling, uh, and to, to to really be competitive. But we we had really good resources at American Honda that mm-hmm. we had developed. Great fabricator, really, and Dave and Roger, real creative on you know working within things. So uh, 
we we salvaged a lot by mm-hmm. all of that. But yeah, it's um, a, it was a special time in the sport. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I sure would like to see a certain part of the sport that's that's open to creativity uh, mm-hmm. and let let engineers run wild a bit. But you know, I guess financially, it doesn't make sense to the the companies in, to do that kind of thing. So, did you uh, did you ever come close to leaving Honda? Did anybody try to get you a, a better contract, another deal? Like you were there from seventy seven or seventy eight to, like we said, to to 08? Like, did you come close to leaving, or is it just Honda Honda Red the whole time? Well, <laughs> I never really had any great. Nobody tried to solicit me too much. Really? I, there oh, was geez. a point when I, when I was off work for a while because of. Uh, a little mishap we had that I I kind of snooped around, you know. Dave, who I had been my manager for mm-hmm. a lot of years, he he left, and uh, there were a lot of things happening within the team while I was away. That um, mm-hmm. yeah, I wasn't so sure I wanted to be part of it. So I looked at other wasn't necessarily other motocross companies, yeah, but other things, other things to do with my life. But in the end, I. Uh, I decided to come back and take now, another swing at it in a little different capacity. But somebody, uh, somebody that we mutually are friends with that may or may not manage Team Honda right now, uh, mm-hmm. that you know well, uh, mm-hmm. told me uh, you were team manager for a little while uh, of the yeah. team. But they yeah. told th- this guy that shall go nameless, although he did work for Jeff Stanton for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> he told me that you, like at one point, they were telling, they were saying, Cliff. Can you be the manager? Can you be the manager? And you were just like, no, I don't want to deal with it. I, I just want to be the motor guy. I'm happy over here. I don't want to, like, yell at people and get on dudes and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is that true? Is that uh, kind of like, things that you were, like, a little reluctant to be? You didn't want to be the guy? Well, yeah, I was quite reluctant, actually. I, I re- really love the technical side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, that was my whole focus, and I was good at it. And the managerial side is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, you really kind of get away from the technical. And uh, there's so many other things that really didn't interest me, you know, talking to dealers and <laughs> right. all of these different things. It's just sit on the phone half the day at least and because right. uh, everybody wants something from you. Uh, so I didn't look forward to that part, uh, being the schmoozer or anything. I, I kind of like to be in the dark room with, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody a, around a bothering dino. me and yeah, try yeah. to create some little widget. Right. But it, it just seemed like a, I, I needed to get in there because there wasn't any really good options. So I thought, hey, I'll take a stab and see. But I'm not that much of a people person so it was a challenge for me to <laughs> yeah. talk, you know deal with my management uh you know quite a ways up the ladder either yeah, even, sure. you know vice presidents and all of this of the company that you have to work with to various do various things and also uh, you, you're sort of the forefront at the races mm-hmm. dealers media 
media, <laughs> advertisers, sponsors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, making sure you're, you got new jackets for the start of the year and new shirts <laughs> and all this stuff takes all of my time instead of what I want to do. But, right. you know, and then dealing with rider contracts, hiring people, starting, we started the FMF team, um, a whole bunch of stuff to go through there. Yeah. It was different, I'll say that. And it's, um, you know, I, I probably wasn't really great at it because it just wasn't my forte. And uh, But at the time, I thought it's what uh, was the best for the team. And I kind of liked the idea of, you know, I'm sailing the ship, so if it screws up, <laughs> it's, it's my it's, fault. But at right. least, you know, I can say this is how the direction I want to go with the team. This is who I want to hire technically uh, dealing with the Japanese. This is what I want to see out of them. And mm-hmm. so that gave me uh, some pretty good um, times. And I had come, you know, I'd seen a lot that Dave had done to mm-hmm. kind of structure the team the way he wanted it. And I'd learned a lot from him, of course, that and the things that did work, things that didn't work, good and bad, so, of how other people ran the management. And I thought I could take the best of all of that, but in the end, it was probably good to just do it for a while and then go back to what I really like. <laughs> uh, well, you you, uh, you did have Ricky when you were manager, so that things, uh, were, things were going well. You could always point to that. Um, and well, uh, I, had, I had a lot. I had a four-man team. Oh, we, you know, yeah. we had, we're, we're going with three, and then all of a sudden, Wyndham kind of got dropped in our lap, <laughs> yeah. which was fine, but boy, that was... And then Ryan Hughes would come over because he was racing in Europe. So at times I had five men, and then I had Larocco and the yeah, and the Patrick and Action Effort and the FMF team all going at the same time, and it was to say it was overwhelming <laughs> would be an understatement. Well, I was but, on, I was on that FMF team, and that was a disaster. That was not I don't know what was going like. You guys folded it after like three years and. I get it. You know what I mean? It was one of those things. Yeah, it was a mutual fool. I think it was. Uh, You know, I was uh, was trying to to come up with a 125 effort and farm it out and and have something develop uh, like a pro circuit effort, which Mitch was very successful with. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, we don't have who else out there can, can muster something. And had a lot of talks with Donnie and and Laporte, and we went over, you know, can you think mm-hmm. you guys can create something here? Oh, yeah, I think we can. We want to go race, and, and then we'll buy a truck, and we'll do all this. And they put a lot of effort into it, but, you know, it wasn't quite the direction that I had, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, I was coming from a, hey, you guys want to go out and beat Mitch or, or yeah. win a lot of races? That's great. It, there was a little more of a uh, advertising campaign there, mm-hmm. which and a little less of uh, let's go beat everybody attitude. So I don't know. It didn't mesh real well. You know, uh, but if, it if was you, fun at the time. If you were manager, Cliff uh, McGrath might have never left. Uh, he wasn't fan of the guy that was there at the time, and uh, <laughs> obviously he didn't like the bike too. A little bit of that new aluminum bike too. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was not just our man, uh, the team manager. I don't think it was. It was just more the overall attitude of the company, which I have to admit, Honda has its real shortcomings. 
and not just with Jeremy, but with a lot of riders. And very frustrating for us down in the trenches to see somebody that we'd work with and reach the pinnacle, and then they just sort of say, well, you know, yeah, we'll find somebody else. <laughs> and we'd go, what? Uh, Have you seen you this guy? Have you seen him ride? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what you're going to lose here? Right. Um, and I, boy, I was on the phone when I found out Jeremy was, you know, frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the phone with uh, the vice president hours trying to convince him that not to screw this up. But right. in the end... Uh, but Jeremy, you know, he was uh, the, the bike. The new bike uh, was very frustrating for him. It isn't to say we couldn't have worked on it. Yeah, worked on it. Yeah. But I don't. He, he, it was that, and he wasn't really about. Well, I don't want to start over with, you know, and maybe start and mm-hmm. and not be winning again. He's so used to that. He wasn't about starting with something and trying to develop it and maybe losing mm-hmm. for a while. And uh, another other things, you know, these guys, uh, they got big egos, mm-hmm. which is what drives them, but also they have to be loved. And if they feel they're not getting quite loved enough yeah, um, financially or just support, mm-hmm. you know, Guys promised you'd never let me down. Well, I think you're letting me down. All right. Well, I'll go see what else is out there. And, yep. you know, then. That's what happens, yeah. Um, you know, the same happened with Ricky, too. And that, boy, I was. Yeah, he. died about that. Well, that was more money, wasn't it, from what I understand? Says so you can kind of it's guarantee. Always, it's, yeah. It's, it's always money. <laughs> it's always money. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's money plus. Um, support yeah how, how much you feel like the the company is you know bending over as far as they can backwards to make it happen to, yeah, for you to show you and, that they love you or whatever right and, yeah yeah and they go well now nah, that's nah, about as far as we can go so, <laughs> well, if you guys hey if you have a better effort mm-hmm. offer well you know that's life um and that attitude maybe it's fine with sales but it's not fine with uh you know personal things like that um, that 97 CR, I'm good friends with Rich Taylor, who did a lot of the pre-protesting on that for a couple of years, and he claims the bike was, was awesome and incredible, but at the last second, the Japanese kind of made a change to the frame over breakage worries over, you know, uh, aluminum, of course, it was first year of the aluminum frame, and they were mm-hmm. a little worried about braking and reliability, and they stiffened it up, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, history tells us now that the, the bike you know, it's come a long way, but that first gen wasn't so good. Do you remember Rich's memory being sort of correct and it was being too rigid, too stiff? Yeah, it was. It was, um, you know, they, they, we were doing so much work to our steel chassis at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody that would punish them, well, a lot of riders punished them yeah. at the speed that they went. You know, we couldn't keep a frame under like Jeff for more than a, a couple of races at the most. Yep. And he'd ripple the backbones and he'd stretch the steering head out. Mm-hmm. And so it was really tough, as hard as they were riding those frames, to keep them alive. And mm-hmm. we were just going through them like tear-offs. And Japan said, well, you know, we're pretty savvy with this aluminum stuff and all of our road race. Sure. I think we can build a chassis that's going to stand up to more punishment. 
Um, and it might take us a little while to get it all, all the handling characteristics figured out. But let's, you know, it looks like we've got to try something new for a number of reasons. So, yeah, they, Honda, their philosophy has always been, you know, we're going to build it stronger mm-hmm. than it needs to be just because that's how we do things because we can't afford to have failures if at all possible we want to build it. And it's, it's really helped them in reliability for their company and all their equipment. And, you know, you get on a Honda and the quality of all everything is usually the standard absolutely and uh, with an aluminum frame if that thing failed right off of the get-go it would be devastating Mm -hmm. because it's so different and it's a new material and everybody would just kill them if it came apart so uh, yeah they went overboard and (laughs) uh, out of fear i'm sure yeah yeah it just had, it had to be that way, and and uh, probably they're trying to sell this new bike to American Honda and to and to European companies, and they're going, yeah, but oh man, are you sure this thing's not gonna break in half? It's aluminum, and if he, you know, all this could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna guarantee you that it won't. So then they, you know, everything is way overbuilt. Yeah, we. And then it was all ratcheted back over the years. Sure, yeah. And it got better as they did, and then they learned the material better and all of this. But at the time, it was a yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was brutal. It must have been amazing to work with Ricky day in and day out and, and see the things he did. And then, you know, you signed Tortelli. He's a two-time mm-hmm. world champion. He comes over, and he... He battles Ricky hard in the outdoors, and then Wyndham, mm-hmm. Wyndham was the fan, uh, the fan favorite for a while, and he was, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, rejuvenated a little bit and feeling better. Um, a lot of egos, a lot of amazing talents, uh, all at the same time that you have to juggle and work with, huh? Yeah, and each one's so different. And and mm-hmm. I had Pashan, which was <laughs> talk about a handful. This guy was a carload full. Yeah. yeah, so you know, Yogi. he was a con- I forgot about Yogi. Yeah, Yogi. Yeah. He he had a very fragile ego, uh, and everybody wants to be king, and so you have to try. I have to try to give everybody equal time and equal effort on to that fits what they're expecting. Yeah, and we've always at Honda. I think we were always really good at that. I mean, we always. You know, our times we had Stanton, Ricky, True. Johnson, and yep. and JMB on the team. Now here's three huge egos, and each guy want, is looking to be sure that he somebody else isn't getting a favor, right. extra favor. You know, and that caused a lot of grief for me and uh, Dave and Lunas and riders at the time and Dan. Yep, because our riders were boy, they were. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> they were tough. So I, when I had these four or five guys on the team like that, I was really careful to not let anybody think that they were getting less than everybody else. Because yeah, you had lived it as the mechanic, like we said. Mm-hmm. Like you said you'd lived it, and maybe you lived some things that weren't cool. You know, that weren't oh, yeah. weren't so cool. And so you now, as the manager, you're like, okay, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure this is everybody's yeah. good, right? We had a time, uh, this was a little thing that Dave, JMB had broken his wrist on his 125, mm-hmm. racing 125 outdoor. So I went over to Europe 
to France when he was feeling like he could ride again. Come back and I worked with worked with him over there, getting kind of tuned up. And um, Dave called and uh, when I was over there, and he said, "Hey, I need JMB to come over and do this last national to help Kudrowski <laughs> win the championship." <laughs> Bud's Creek, some, right? Yeah, Bud's. Yeah, we need some backup. <laughs> we need him to be second behind Mike and add the points. So. He asked me, well, I think JMB is fit enough to probably pull that off. So, uh, you know, we'll come over. Well, he he discussed all of that with me. Right. But he didn't discuss it with JMB. So (laughs) when we get there and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, after the practice, Dave comes to JMB and says, hey, I need you to finish second behind Mike. And they had had some real battles that Mm -hmm. season uh, or temper tantrums and Mm – you know, all kinds of problems. So JMB was not about to help Kudrowski right. if he didn't have, if, you know, yeah. I'm just not going to do that. So here we fly all the way from France. I get the bike ready, drive all the way from California to Bud's Creek, ready to race. JMB says, I ain't helping him. <laughs> and so, well, if you're not helping him, you're not racing. Okay, I'm right. not racing. And that was that. I and know. we went home. Um, and, uh, JMB. So I wasn't going to let those kind of things happen if I could help it. Yeah. It was, it was no good. Yeah, JMB tells a story that he was like, I'm not going to help. And then they said, uh, he said, well, Dave, uh, are you still going to pay me? And Dave goes, yeah, yeah, we're still going to pay you. Or maybe Dave <laughs> told the story. And JMB goes, oh, perfect. I'm not raised. I'm still going to get paid. Great. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- yeah, those days, uh, Dan's told me some few things, too, over the years. You know, Dan and yeah. Jeff just hate hated jmb uh well sure. actually let's let's talk about that a little bit so you're mm-hmm. working for jmb brian is is there uh dan is there mm-hmm. and, and and jmb i talk to him every time i go to europe i have to talk to him i get stories out of him all day long um sure. he's a fantastic guy uh, mm-hmm. but th- there was some real internal wars going on right at that time oh, with yeah. all of you guys so yeah. you and dan going at it lunas going at it um it's crazy i bet back then well, yeah, I mean, we. it can't help when riders, are, and riders, a lot of them, they have to be that way and mm-hmm. understand that they are just, at the race, their egos are huge, and they're not friends with anybody else, usually, if they want to win. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what it takes to be champion a lot of times. I mean, Hannah started it. Uh, you, he hated everybody at the racetrack, and that's what motivated him mm-hmm. to kick their ass. And so I knew all of that, but it spills over into the team, the rest of the team as well. You know, we're all eyeballing each other. And uh, I had Brian more than one time stick his signboard in front of mine when my rider would come by just so that my rider yeah. didn't see my signal. And I'm going, you know, ready to hit him with. So there were, uh, there were times in the pits as well as on the racetrack. And then, of course, everybody back then drove together, and now maybe you got to drive with Brian or drive with Dan, and <laughs> you're like, I don't, I'm not traveling with you. I don't want to well, talk to you. Well, we'd all pull into the hotel, and then no one would say anything all week long <laughs> to each other, that kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that that happens. Did, and... did you feel like JMB 
Um, look, three titles in '91. And uh, and he should have won 90. By the way, the, the story I get from 1990 is so JMB's winning the title. He goes down in the whoops in Washougal and, like you said, breaks his wrist or arm or whatever. Uh, talking to Kurdowski about this, and I think Shane Nally, too. I talked to Shane about it as well. Mm-hmm. And the story that they give me is that so JMB goes down. All of a sudden, Ron Wood was working for Kurdowski, I think. And so right. the story is, is that uh, JMB goes down. Honda gives. Uh, Mike, uh, JMB's motor, and turns out you had done some side work on it as a mechanic that you are, um, and that motor was a lot better than Kurdowski's. And all of a sudden, Mike went on a roll and started winning races. And I mean, it wasn't anything that any everybody was just saying. Cliff was so smart that JMB's bike was so much better than Mike's. Is that kind of how it goes? <laughs> oh no, JMB was uh, he, he was a fabulous rider. <laughs> Uh, I can't take anything away from him, but yeah, I always did. Yeah, they, that's what they were saying. On my own equipment, <laughs> sure. you know, I I had my little tune-up tricks that I right. did, uh, but I'm trying to help my rider win, if of course, yeah, at possible. So uh, all mechanics, uh, you know, they've got their little tweaks that they do, mm-hmm. I guess, and uh, well. I just happen to have some good ones. But <laughs> <laughs> Mike Kurdowski's like, yeah, the motor was really good, man. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike always wanted me to work for him after that. I, I bet. <laughs> never came together. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Race tech people, racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with race tech. Uh, trust me on this. There's a, more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, Eh, probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Race Tech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Race Tech Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Race Tech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015. When you order, you can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the the CCT. 
So would you tell me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension and tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelin uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this... Um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting, traction, handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out, the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. Was JMB misunderstood? Like, did you... You know, I've had, I've interviewed, like I said, I talked to him all the time and I talked to Stan mm -hmm. and talked to Dan and, and like, they tell me some things that he would do. You know, obviously there's the carving initials, initials in the hill at, at Honda land and, and drinking Pepsi's in front of Stanton and, you know, yeah. on purpose and all this. Um, but was he misunderstood or was he really do it? Was he that smart? And he was doing all that stuff on purpose or what's your take on Jay, the great John Michelle Bale? Well, he's, he's an extremely intelligent guy. It takes takes three things to win. You have to be uh, very smart, especially about racing, mm -hmm. but just smart overall. Uh, you have to be motivated, and you have to have some talent. But you, if you have a little more in one and a little less in the other, you can still make up differences. And John Michelle, he didn't have to train as hard as some riders because he, he just – had this technique that flowed, and he used as little energy as he could get away with on the track mm -hmm. to to conserve what he had, and that's what how his style sort of developed out of. He 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 modeled himself after Bailey, mm -hmm. his riding technique, and in Europe that's he it was his hero was David watching David ride his videos and everything. Right. And so he developed this style of using as little energy as he could get away with and finding smooth lines everywhere, and that was his forte. But, boy, what a smart kid. And, and there were things that he did probably to intimidate, <laughs> but all riders do that. Yeah, it's uh, part of the game, right? Yeah. get an edge on their competition. But he was, uh, he was such a nice, harmless guy, and he was treated so... So unfairly in this country. Was he really, it, huh? Yeah. It made me so sad for him because he, that's all he wanted to do was to come over here and race against his heroes. And, um, you know, and everything was fine and dandy until all of a sudden he starts being competitive with them. Right. And they, they go, what is this foreign kid? Can't even speak English. He's dorky looking he wears weird clothes <laughs> uh doesn't speak english he's not one of the boys yeah you know? yeah um he's different and anybody that's different in anything is an outcast and kind of bullied and you know here are these a lot of guys wanted to bully him and then the press got on board and they bullied him and then they got the fans to bully him and i remember in anaheim when 70-some thousand people booed him when he 
walked out on the track for opening ceremony. Now, how does that affect someone? Yeah. And how can he just ignore that and go on racing? And, boy, I think he's a hero just because of that, win, lose, or draw, to be able to tolerate that kind of persecution at the time in, you know, fans, press, Mm -hmm. other riders, teams, everything, and still accomplish anything at all. Well, yeah, he he's uh, he's something else. He could have stayed in Europe and dominated because he was two times. You know, he won the one twenty five, won the two fifties, came to America. He could have easily stayed there and kept winning sure. and been an all timer. Oh, yeah. Instead, he chose the hard road. Well, he chose the road that he wanted. Mm-hmm. The one thing about JMB, he always pursued what he just what made him happy to do. Mm-hmm. And when he'd had enough motocross. He said, ah, you know, now I have another interest, and I want to go road racing because that really is what I, what I want to get good at right now. And when his road racing career kind of faded, he said, well, I think I want to go rally racing and yeah. car racing. And he, he moved into different sports, and then now he's into sailboats. And <laughs> so he just follows his dream, and I from being in France a lot with him, that's sort of their direction a lot of guys. And a mentor of his was a stunt guy, and that's what he, you know, he'd mm-hmm. do one stunt, he'd accomplish something fabulous, and then he'd dream up some other thing that interested him, and he'd go jump a motorcycle off a cliff and a parachute <laughs> or whatever. You know, and that's yeah. JMB's kind of philosophy came from a lot of that. Um the myth that we all have is that in 92, you know, he won all three in 91. And in 92, he kind of was on the road race. He wasn't really trying, quote unquote. Right. He still almost won the Supercross title. Um, did you notice a little lack of focus, dedication, effort in 92? Is that myth true? No, no. The, that that year was sort of his swan song. And he, you know, if it came to him, fine. If it didn't, fine. Mm-hmm. Either way, yep. he was he was concentrating on road race. We in in the off season when we would go to Japan and uh, work on next year's bikes and do a lot of testing with the engineers. You know, he'd set up some road race times. So, mm-hmm. um, he was so interested in in his next step that uh, he took away from motocross testing in order to focus on getting in some time on some Honda road race bikes on their test tracks. And you could just see that that was what he was thinking about. He'd bought a street bike, you know, and got all his road race gear, and he was pursuing um, pursuing that. Mm-hmm. And motocross took a back seat. But he was so good at that, at motocross and supercross, that, yeah, I can still, you know, put in some good races here and fulfill my contract while planning, <laughs> the next, you know, where yeah. I'm going to go in Europe, what team I'm going to be on, the next steps of his evolution. Uh, when you worked for Bailey, I, I picture Bailey, David, and JMB riding similar, uh, being similar personalities. I'm obviously, JMB, JMB, we talked about the differences, but quiet, yeah. soft-spoken, thoughtful guys. Do, do you mm-hmm. agree? Yeah. David's a little more outspoken. Okay. And, um, but riding style, like I said, JMB's modeled his style after mm-hmm. David's. Well, he liked it so much. Um, similar stature, tall, lanky, yep. long legs, great, great in the whoops. 
that's you know where they had an advantage like Wyndham too you know yeah. for whatever reason Kevin whether he emulated any of his writing after those two had a very similar maybe just because of this size and everything kind of evolves that but yeah um David was uh, he's they're all different mm-hmm. you know but David uh he certainly there's um there was a guys I worked for a, a ton of guys and I think eight or nine different guys I was with Tim Ferry the longest mm-hmm. um but um and there's guys I got along with and I got along with all my guys that's part of your job as a mechanic is to you know try to get the best out of your rider but there sure. were certainly guys that I I you know Nick Way and Tim Ferry come to mind the guys that I got along with really well and still talk to this day and still friends with this day and there's other guys that you know I may never talk to him again and, and whatever I'm fine with that nothing personal did you find that you got along with uh, one or two of your guys a little different a little better maybe to this day well you know it's like anything each one has is just a different person mm-hmm. um, even though they they all want to go race motocross the personalities like all of us are different so there's some you click with a little bit better for whatever reason maybe you know my dumbass dry sense of humor <laughs> bonded better with <laughs> certain guys mm-hmm. than he did with others um but i but i gotta say that most everyone that i worked with i really enjoyed the mm-hmm. time and i still have contact with all of them steve is the first kid i started honda we talk yeah wow okay um you know, his life has taken him a lot of different directions, mm-hmm. but we still have a lot of things that in common we discuss. And um, oh, some awesome. have slipped, yeah, yeah. few have slipped through the cracks, um, but just for other reasons, you know, you're just yeah. geographically life, different. Right. Life. <laughs> um, but I can't say, too, there were any that I, that I had any real grief with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I had grief with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, just, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it's just that's it's like a marriage. You know, there's the good days and the bad days, and um, sometimes you're some reasons not clicking, and uh, some, but usually we we had a great relation. You know, and you know, really know as you know when you get a good relationship with a rider it's just it's almost non-communicating yeah true you, you just know yeah. everything about them so well that um they you don't have to talk he mm-hmm. comes in from the moto you just know what he's thinking by what happened or his expression or how he sits the bike on the stand or throws his helmet <laughs> yeah back. true right so you kind of know everything that goes on you get everything prepped because of that the way you communicate non-verbally mm-hmm. and that's how the day is when when you were so when i was a mechanic at yamaha on different teams like i would go testing with different riders if my rider wasn't in town or hurt i would build chad reed's bikes uh, here and there i would test with him v- villaman um same thing with ktm when i was there and you as a manager i i would guess when you were managing honda you're shane drew and, and these guys you would um, you would tell them, hey, you know, we're all chipping in. But back in the day, did you do any of that? Or was, if you were David Bailey, JMB, George Holland's guy, would you help the other dudes? Or was it all just you looked after one guy and, and that was it? No, well, yeah, I did. But uh, if if 
other people, other riders needed, uh, had a, any questions or needed help. Uh, I didn't have any problem with okay. anybody. Yep. You know, uh, it just depended on who we bonded with. Johnny, uh, O'Mara, and David were best buddies. Right. And, so, and Jim felt that I traveled with for years. We'd travel a lot together, and so Jim and I would help each other in all kinds of different areas. And if Johnny needed this on his bike and Jim was doing something else, I'd pitch in and vice versa. And So a lot of the team, we'd get along with fine. And the other guys, you know, they had mm-hmm. their thing, and I right. had mine, and we didn't really share too much stuff or your incompetent, you know, Riders are in a championship race with the JMB and Stanton or something together, and mm-hmm. so Dan and I, you know, we kind of kept it close to the best because right. sure. we're trying to make uh, our rider have the best advantage, and so he does his tweaks and I do mine, and maybe we don't share so much, but we always came together, uh, you know, in the meetings before the race or after mm-hmm. the race. Dave would gather us all. And which I tried to emulate when I was team manager and share as much information from each. And that's the, that's the next day. The races are over with. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how we as a team can help uh, everybody further yeah. ourselves. And so you pool all your knowledge and go from there. Uh, we had uh, one year when Jeff and JMB were racing, going out, we had a new bike in the still steel frame and yep. uh, Japan had made some pretty bad moves on this new bike. Um the 92 is that the yeah, yeah and our riders were flying off like we couldn't believe. <laughs> they couldn't ride the thing to save their soul and they couldn't tell us what was wrong with it other than something's evil in here and <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> and you could see it cuz here's guys that are champion caliber riders have won championship, won races, and they're flying off the bike. So, you know, we're pooling all of our thoughts together, and I'm watching JMB come down the straightaway, and the front wheel's going left and the rear wheel's going right. And so we start diagnosing what we see and what may be the cause. And so, you know, we come up with some some great solutions, and within a couple of weeks we had those things pretty ironed out. But it was all of us together that would solve the dilemma for both guys, and then it's up to them to beat each other or to beat right. you know, yeah. Guy Cooper or Jeff Ward or whoever else is on the track. But we've got the whole team and all of our equipment much better off just because of all of our contributions. Yeah, everybody chipping in. Um, yep. January 87, Lake Huron, where David uh, crashes. Uh, what do you remember from that day? And I guess like you talked about earlier with Ernie and David, two guys that you're close to that get hurt, that must have been, I mean, devastated. That, that you know, David was on, it was at the very top of the world with RJ and yeah. many more titles to come for him. And um, to see it all end like that must have been just, just crushing. Well, it was the worst day of my life. Yeah. Question. Yeah. And it took uh, it took me a long time to get. In fact, it took me a season to get over that. Did it really? Huh. Yeah. Well, because I mean, certainly the season rolled on, and I was so involved in 
David and his recovery. I spent a lot of time in the hospital with him. And so that sidelined me as well, which was fine. And the, and the team fortunately says, hey, we know this is weighing on you heavy. Mm-hmm. This is the last thing I wanted to do is go work with somebody else right at the time. For so sure. Right. They put me in a position there. Uh, we had a huge team at the time, so I got into fabricating for road race, dirt track. We had off-road, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I, there was a spot for me to fill. And it was great. I could, uh, you know, kind of get my act back together for a whole season till I was ready to, you know, okay, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, start with somebody else and see how it goes. Did uh, did he crash in front of you? Did you see it? No, no. I was. Uh, he had just gone out for practice. I was gathering up my tools and stuff and walking. Oh, was to that the track that soon? Was, huh. That's soon. Kind of a little yeah. knoll in between the pits and the track, and this uh, our suspension guy came running up this knoll just as I crested. So David's crashed, and I think he's hurt. So and then I just look out and notice there's a pile of people around. So I headed straight there and uh, got to him within a minute after mm-hmm. or less than it happened, I guess. Jeez. But, uh, yeah, we knew it was bad, and... You know, it was. I don't know. Yeah, no, not not good. I hate, um, hate to even relive it, but yep. Yeah, that's and that was just accumulation to him and and other people that had. Uh, you know, Doug Henry and I'd seen been with him, and even though he crashed, well, he crashed on our bike, and yeah. he crashed on the Omaha a couple times, and boy, here's a guy. I mean, kudos to the how much of a gnarly dude that guy could come back from stuff but you know following him to the hospital and and then other guys and seeing jeremy and i uh, finally when ernie yeah. got hurt i was just, I that's enough i don't blame you yeah i don't you know, I, I, this is, I know these guys so personally mm-hmm. and boy i sure i sure i know it's part of the sport yep. and everybody accepts it and all that but still after you see a few, so many of your friends, it finally gets uh, to me. It got to be a little too much, and I just had to distance myself. The uh, the in '88, you pick up with George Holland. Uh, you guys mm-hmm. win the 125 national title. I still mm-hmm. I, I still give Kehoe shit every now and then. Like I'm like, you should have got on a Honda, <laughs> Kehoe. You should have uh, got. On, look what happened to George. You had to get on a Honda because I mean, both Kehoe and Honda, uh, Kehoe and Holland rode Suzuki's and they weren't that great. And Holland gets on a Yamaha and wins. But something that's lost in time a bit, Cliff, is that George won in '88. 89, Bradshaw, Kordowski, uh Chicken, uh, all these kids, Larry Ward, are in the class, LaRocco. George is leading the title, or he's very close to defending this title as being, quote-unquote, the old man, uh, until his shoulder finally gives away. And I don't think people realize that George Holland could have very easily beat all the kids and been a two-time champion. Yeah. He struggled with that shoulder injury or situation for a long time. And, uh, yeah, he persevered as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he is a tough kid. And he's one of – I mean, I hate to have favorites of all my boys, but he and I just got along 
so well, our personalities mm-hmm. and our humor and everything. And he was the nicest kid. And, uh, boy, I hated to see him struggle with um, something that was just like that, just holding him back from winning. And again, again yeah. 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 And, um, but, you know, he was smart enough at that point to just say, you know, I've done what I can do and yeah. uh, time time to grow some almonds. Yeah, crazy how he, like, <laughs> he, he still could have got a good ride or stayed at Honda. Sure. And I think he was Melted. just, yeah, like you said, just, okay, I'm out. My shoulder's yeah. sore. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about a couple of bikes before we uh, wrap this up uh, on the RacerX Online podcast with the great Cliff White. Um, first of all, the 96 CR250. We talked about the 97 and the switched aluminum frame, and, and you did say that mm-hmm. the frames were weaker on the on the those bikes. But was that maybe perhaps the pinnacle of of a Honda two-stroke motor and chassis and everything? Uh, I think so. I mean, well, McGrath makes everything look great. <laughs> he does. He right? does. And yeah. any great rider will make the bike look great. Right. But I mean, uh, he, it fit him. Uh, in the years of his riding, he'd just gotten so used to how things on that bike work and it's the same with anybody that's why you get it you get something working good don't change it because (laughs) the rider knows the good and the bad and he can deal with the bad and he loves the good so jeremy kept the same year frame for a lot of years in Mm -hmm. fact we'd have to use the older version because that would it just it just different it it would just fit him and he knew it and he could just win. Um, but, like I say, it was just steel frames in general we had pushed mm-hmm. to, a, our, at least in our development, a pretty good limit, and uh, they were they were suffering from the load that those guys could put on things. I mean, in the track, especially Supercross, was getting just so, you know, mm-hmm. such big jumps and everything that... Uh, it was the evolution. They had to try something else, and Honda decided right. the aluminum was maybe maybe worth the effort. They saw a lot of positives, and of course negatives too. It was a lot which we learned after they built it. But mm-hmm. yeah. at the time, I think they thought most of it was positive. But um, you know, they were too low to the ground. The down tubes they didn't uh, tuck up under the engine enough, and mm-hmm. so they drug a lot. But I think our, our last version of steel and two-stroke was, was was a pretty outstanding engine and, and bike combination. Yeah, even um, was, yeah, Honda ditched the HPP valves and went to the different system, I think, in 92. And yeah. it was a better power valve system, and the motor was just tractable. I rode a few of them, and um, mm-hmm. phenomenal, yeah. Well, I don't know better. I, okay. I mean, at the time we struggled with it, the first, they had to change probably for reasons like the HPPs were difficult to work on. They were. For, for they the were. average person, you know, all these little springs and mm-hmm. mouse traps. Pre- preloading and it, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, so everybody struggled with that. Um not you, and, not, not you, but most ex- people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we had it down, but yeah. um, the consumer did, and it was also expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, all these little widgets and pieces and parts. So they tried to simplify it with uh, this. We call it a flapper valve or something. Much simpler system, and got away from a lot of that. And 
and for you know a lot of things are driven by economy and sure. it, Japan's trying to save some money whether it's even just price of assembly or the price mm-hmm. of all stock and all these little parts or something so they wanted a simpler system and when the first version came out uh actually they developed that motor for a number of years before that and it wasn't as good as ours and they said well yeah but i think we can make it that good so mm, why don't okay. we just bring it out and then down the road we'll have it working for you and oh said, interesting well, mm. when it's working better then we'll think about bringing it out and uh so they they delayed it a couple of years until Oh, wow. Actually, until they finally got it, or at least as good as what we had, and then we went from there. But And then, uh, you know, in the last evolution of that, they changed it again, and it really went downhill. The electronic but, one. Yeah. 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 It was a different valve system again, probably a lot simpler, and, and it didn't. We never got that really quite as good. Yeah, and Case Case Reed too at some point I think kind of went backwards on that motor a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the '85 Works Honda to me is just something that you know they're at the races. Honda pulls them out every now and then. I could just look at that thing for hours. Uh, seat up on the tank, the fuel, the fuel pump, the low tank, everything else. Um, yeah. Dogger won the 125s. You know, with that short radiator on the one side. Um, right. And I, it's interesting. Like so, to, to me, that's the pinnacle of works bikes, and I just, I, it's amazing. I talked to David. I've talked to Ronnie. Uh, they all tell me the '84 was better. They, they, they struggled in '85 um, on that trick bike and everything else. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember it that yeah, way? Yeah, I do. I, I distinctively remember that. And you know, we almost we all over-engineered ourselves. <laughs> the things, yeah, they. What, what were you like saying? The, hey, what were you saying earlier about if you got something good, don't change it? Remember? <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, they thought they could change it for the better, but right. it proved to be. And it was the same deal. Uh, they'd made a number of changes in design, thinking. And we'd gone to Japan in the off season, of course, to test the bike. And everybody uh, that rode it, David and Ricky and all these, they go, "Oh, this thing is so cool." We don't even need to test. Let's just go to Anaheim and we're ready. And, uh, yeah, well, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. And uh, come to find out, uh, it had some real issues. And it took us uh, well, a little while to kind of find what the issues were mm-hmm. and you know, rectify them. And then, then we got it working good. But you know, it was a bit of a learning curve. Yeah. It just got a little too over-engineered. Um, good intentions, yeah. but sometimes things, you know, that you don't see um, crop up, but that's that's the fun of evolution. And those th- oh, those bikes were, you know, they built around form follows function. So right, you know, yeah. we want the fuel low. So okay, well let's build a low tank. We need to pump the fuel up. So okay, we'll put a fuel pump on it. And we want a pipe up on one side. And so let's build a short radiator in mm-hmm. one and a long radiator in the other. And, Everything kind of fit the reason. The form, right, yeah. And and then, of course, to me, that is the pinnacle of beauty. Oh, I agree. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's just, it's cobby. Uh, There's stuff sort of where you wouldn't expect it, but, boy, that's there because it needs to go faster, and that's why they built it that way. Now, you would get those as a mechanic. uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but from people I talk to, you would get those, and they'd be fully built in a crate, and they'd say, here's your bike, Cliff, for the year? Is that kind of how it would go? 
Well, after our after usually our off season testing, then they'd go back and they'd make some tweaks, whatever we mm-hmm. would whatever we would find, and then the things will, would be airlifted over and come in a crate as our bike. Yeah, yeah. that's usually how. I, and so we'd instantly disassemble them. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we knew Japan. Uh, they were beautiful, great at building things, but they were poor at putting them together. So <laughs> we'd race prep them and everything, of course, and then we'd go out and um, start our off-season testing or Golden State series. Whatever, yeah. Tr- try to figure out... Uh, you know how to get them set up correctly, and those particular that particular year, we we didn't uh, really stumble on the problems until we got to some of the first supercrosses, and uh, things were not going as yeah. well. A rider going, ah, we don't even need to test these well. <laughs> Something's not right here. And uh, Arsis, our show suspension guy, really was kind of the one that. Is that Jake? With, Would that be Jake? Uh, no, oh, okay. we had a, right. it was a Japanese, Mr. Tano. Oh, okay. And, and he uh, he sort of came up with a theory as to what was wrong with him. And um, and so we we employed some of his ideas, and sure enough, you know, that cured our issues. But um, the uh, Yeah, because I've asked David and Ronnie, I'd be like, what was, oh, my God, those bikes. And they're like, yeah, eh, they're good. Um you know, the 84 was, was better. And then, of course, in 85, full credit to Brock Glover, by the way, but he beat somehow beat David on YZ490, um, <laughs> you know, in the 500 Nationals out year. Again, full credit to Brock. I tell him all the time that people don't, oh, yeah. you know, give enough credit for that. But, again, Bailey was like, yeah, the 500 was like a light switch. Like, I just I couldn't ride it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't take anything – Anything no. away from Brock. He he's uh, he's a tough as dirt competitor. Had great respect. Knew him since he was you know first started on Yamaha mm-hmm. and won the championship. And we were always good friends. Still are. And uh, John R. Boy, got the better of you, Cliff. John R. Well, John, John R. <laughs> here's the guy that was my mentor when I started Honda, and I have the utmost respect for him. He was probably the finest mechanic i had i had ever seen at the time and probably one of the best there ever was so i learned from a great guy and uh, and it was an honor to compete against him and he was the kind of guy you could race against and you know it you'd be hating that he'd be beating you but <laughs> you know you'd slap his back and shake his hand after the race and we always got along good but yeah, Brock, he, uh, it was sheer determination. Mm-hmm. And I remember David, uh, you know, passing him down the start straight, looking over and yelling at him or something. <laughs> right. And Brock would be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it just drove him harder. Right, you know? right. And so, you know, oh. they had some, they had some epic. Epic battles. So. I worked with John R. at Yamaha for two years. I learned that you can wash your face with Windex from John R. <laughs> Yeah, he had, he had some peculiarities, that's uh, for sure. You know, he won't do one of these with me because he's like, I got nothing to say. And I'm like, come oh, on, John R. That sounds exactly like him. Yeah. He's busy building x-ray machines in his garage or anything. Something. Yeah. What a sharp guy. Um, Johnny O talks about riding an, an automatic CR250 in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. Rick, Rick RJ had said that he also tested some... Uh, Twin, I mean, that Osho said the twin cylinder 125. Um, out of all the cool things you saw that never really made it, is there a couple that stand out? Uh, 
Uh, well, the twin got, yeah, you, they changed the rules on us right in the middle of that. <laughs> I think the automatic for me was uh, was a, a great, I mean, it's been, now it's starting to be used a little bit, not per, that particular design, yeah. but the same concept in like the new African twin. But I, the only r- reason that didn't make it is it was a little expensive for development purposes, but boy, the concept was great. JMB wrote it in Japan a bunch, mm-hmm. and he said, "Boy, you let me have this thing, and I'll win you the world championship easy." <laughs> and uh, Eric Gabor's tested it, and when he w- he was there with us at the mm-hmm. same time, and he raced it at uh, one or two of the Japan Supercrosses, and felt the same way. It was it was had incredible potential. Um, it was complex at the time, which any kind of electronic yeah. control device is, but, you know, that would certainly be developed. But um, you know, nobody, nobody could beat, beat him on the start. He'd win yeah, every time. Perfect, it, right? It, yeah. It had, yeah. Yeah, it downshifted in the air when you'd go off a jump. You know, it'd be in the correct gear when you landed, and it had had some great capabilities. But, um, you know, it's just so expensive as far as a development or as far as a production Mm -hmm. version. They just they sort of canned it after that. Um, I worked with uh, Kyle Lewis at Moto Triple X, and I felt like I went out testing a few times with him. I felt like he was great. Red Dog one time, I I set the wrong fork height for Red Dog. I went off our old setting, and and he'd made a change at the last race, and he came in and said, hey, I think the forks are off, and they were two millis off. Cliff sure. and, and he he knew it and I'm just like come on and he's like I'm telling you anyways yeah. so who was the great testers that you worked with and which guys really noticed small changes oh boy some of you know it usually came from just experience mm-hmm. um, and really the guys that that could tell you that fine of measurement and there were a number of them that I worked with uh-huh. they were the ones that excelled because they really could set up their bike um, Yogi that guy could he, really huh? he, Yogi, he yeah. could he, he could tell uh, when the rubber mounted handlebars would shift in the rubber bushing a little bit when he'd land off a jump wow you know yeah. he was that sensitive on certain things and I had, I had to do a lot of development on pieces like that that bothered him because they'd move a little bit mm-hmm. and he'd go, well, these things moved. And you'd go, no way, that didn't, <laughs> you can't tell. And so then you'd start measuring things yeah. and, you know, and you'd go, oh, yeah, it moved a millimeter or two. Wow. How can you, how can that yeah. much bother you? Yeah, well, it does. Right. <laughs> so, you know, then you start going through this whole process of how to fix it. But, um, Ricky, certain things he could tell his seat height because he's you know that yeah. was real critical to him. Sure. And oh, this seat is just uh, so we'd take the cover off and sand about three swipes, mm-hmm. put the cover back on. No, it's done another three swipes. <laughs> okay, that's good there. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug Henry didn't know diddly squat when he got on the team, but became one of our best. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it showed in his his, uh, results Mm -hmm. and Jeremy, you know, he, he was so good at just talent and he could win 
and didn't really want to spend the time doing any work, you know. I just, you know, <laughs> good, I can, right. this this will be fine. I can, okay, yeah, well, you can win on that. But as it got a little harder and more time, and he actually wanted to learn, um, became a great test rider. In fact, I hired him as, yeah. on the team as our test rider because a we needed a good test rider to help develop stuff that our riders, you know, they were busy doing their thing, so mm-hmm. we wanted somebody independent. And he got where he could really tell you stuff. And um, But um, a lot of it, guys were really good. Wyndham became a great test driver. Did he really, huh? Okay, I always but heard yeah, that. Yeah, same was, kind of thing. Yeah, I couldn't care less about right. it. Right. I always heard Allie, you know, Allie did all that. Allie was like, yeah, this is what we're going to run. Yeah, Allie, <laughs> Allie'd sit on the bike, and he'd set the bars and the levers and the brake and all the adjustments, and Allie would it, whatever. Now this is what Kevin Lang said. Okay, cool. Hey, Kevin, get on and go race. <laughs> right. But, hey, you know, over the years, and mm-hmm. with testing over and over with him, he got dang sensitive and uh, could really give you great feedback on on things like that. Um, uh, Morocco Shell was really good. Same thing. He came from Europe and mm-hmm. they didn't test over there very much at all. They'd, they'd just kind of set the bikes up as they'd come from Japan and they'd go racing world championship. So when he came to the U.S., we you know we had this full test program going, which he'd never even been part of any of that so <laughs> he was like what <laughs> it, yeah and you know what are you guys doing and so but after a season or so he understood the potential of all of that and putting in the effort and the time and what would be the return uh, so he got really really good at it as well and of course they're all kind of focused on what fits them the best yeah yep so are we but uh you, you know you get so much general knowledge from it as well helps everybody yeah and you guys hiring honda hiring uh mc you know he was younger then and still not far off from you know being very competitive right. I, we always felt like that we looked into hiring lamps in one year at yamaha mm-hmm. and it was and you know larocco's doing a lot of work on the on the 250 for those guys like actually riding i guess he's not blitzing whoops because he's a little too old for that but still corners and and riding and he has a a really good feel for a bike and yeah. is helping those guys. Like that was a nice, it's a mo- good move that you did. And it's one of, I think you were the first team to do that because it, it yeah. you know, we were well, like, we need a guy like that. <laughs> well, I, I explained to the man at my management, the, the potential of this. And I don't know why I managed to convince them of things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Felt sorry for me, I guess. Yeah, really? Right. But, uh, yeah, I managed to pull it off. And Jeremy, uh, you know, he, he wanted to do it. And like you say, he, he was just a tick off of being uh, competitive, which actually didn't matter that much because even somebody like LaRocco, he, he don't have to do the whoops, blitz the whoops. You, you can still tell if you're that good from experience and testing. You can still tell the dynamics, the engine power, uh, any of these things, traction, steering, and you don't even have to do that kind of thing. That next level can just be the fine-tuning of the guy, the rider himself. But you can you can accomplish a heck of a lot uh, just on your experience basis. So, uh, 
Uh, speaking of Blitz and Whoops, Cliff, uh, is it true that JMB was the first guy to do it out at the Honda Land track and, and first guy to kind of hit him in fourth? Uh, and do you, is that true? And do you remember when you were thinking, going, what's he doing? Yeah, I, I think he was probably about the first guy to do it. Uh, there may have been a couple of mistakes by other people. That... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, we what we did, our suspension guy being the clever mm-hmm. individual that he was, we had been kind of struggling with J&B, well, all of our riders, on suspension settings, I mm-hmm. think, or on, on equip, suspension pieces. Mm-hmm. I think we were a step behind. And uh, Jim Anderson, who now works with the KTM team, and he's he's been all over car racing and everywhere else. A very, very sharp guy. And he, he kind of put together this little combination package uh, and tried it. Uh, let me, let's go out with JMB at the test track and mm-hmm. try this. I think this might work pretty well. And dang, JMB just took to it like a fish to water and said, this is good. And so on his own, he just said, well, I think I can just blitz these whoops. Well, I didn't even know the word blitz then. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're like... Hit everyone on top. <laughs> <laughs> and so he tries a bunch of times, and he finally says, well, I can't. I got to go a little faster to stay up on top, so I'm going to click it up a couple of gears. And, you know, no one ever. Yeah had the i guess the wavos to give that yeah. a shot right hit him in fourth right but the suspension setting worked so well at that speed and he he just had the the long legs and the guts to go for it and dang if it didn't work and so he comes to the racetrack and jmb notoriously didn't get the greatest start because he figured well if i'm in the top five or ten i can beat all these guys anyway so i don't have to be the first guy to the corner so he kind of lets it the dust settle and follows everybody around and then he just clicks it into fourth and hits the loops and passes everybody <laughs> in the same section lap after lap and yeah. and uh yeah it was quite phenomenal at the time we were slack-jawed to say the least sure and of course, you know, the GMR suspension guy, he's just grinning from ear to ear because that was a pretty big evolution. Um, when you, I assume you were at the Motocross Nations working for Gibson in 82. I would think you were there. Yeah. Um, yes. Was Magoo's rides maybe one of the best you've ever seen ever in the, in the history? <laughs> well, it was, it was epic at the time. And I think more than anything, totally unexpected. Yeah. 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 Really. Right. <laughs> Especially for Magoo. Right. Yeah, he held it together for four motos. <laughs> Here's a guy that's a total live wire. Right. Uh, you know, he, yeah, he didn't have much to stand on at, up to that point, other than crashing his brains out usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we go over there, and, and these are all pretty rookie kids that we've got. And uh Never in a hundred years expected this guy to just take off and you know right, jeez, do what he did. Uh, pretty outstanding. And I don't know why it happened. Yeah, that he kept it all together. And um, I don't know if it'll it'll ever be done. Well, it won't be ever done. Be done. There's not four motos anymore. But yeah, right. Um, yeah, he just uh, <laughs> something was just right for him at that time, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm just gonna." focus maybe that was his problem he never really had a reason to 
focus. Yeah, 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 really, right? <laughs> they were cutting tree limbs down because he's hitting his head on the trees. So that's true? I've heard the story, but I didn't know if it was oh, true. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he got stung by a bee. Right. And he was to- <laughs> right. totally allergic to bees, and he comes in after the first moto, and the first thing he... Well, we knew he'd been stung because he was pointing and everything. Yeah, yeah. Nurse to the tent. So, okay. Jeez. So they're waiting there with this needle. And uh, he comes in, and the first thing he grabs from one of the mechanics here is a wire brush. We <sighs> used to clean our chain. And he's going over his body with this wire brush because he's itching like mad. <sighs> and the Belgian team right next to us, they're just, what is wrong here? <laughs> and then this lady comes up and sticks a needle in his arm, and they thought, oh, this guy's on drugs. Yeah, no yeah. wonder he beat us. You know, I don't know what drugs he's taken, but something isn't right. <laughs> oh, geez. He's on cocaine or something. Yeah. Oh. So it, was, it was hilarious. So we had a lot of explaining to do after that. <laughs> is there a rider? People don't know either that you worked for Glover, actually. Glover filled in at a Dis Nations when David got hurt, and... Um, and you actually tuned for Glover for a little bit. People don't realize that. But um, and you yeah. spoke of him. You spoke of him earlier. But is there a rider that on another team or somebody like you worked for some of the best riders in the history of the sport ever? Um, is there a guy that when you were a mechanic that you wish you would have worked for or that you had the ultimate respect for? Whether it's uh, Barnett or, or Stanton or, or Glover, like you said, is there a guy that stands out that maybe that you're just you know you thought was amazing? Well, I thought a lot of them were amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I worked with Brock. It, it just, at the time, that's what needed to be done. It was the yeah. nations, and uh, Brock had to fill in for David, I think, and uh, I was the mechanic on that happened to be there, or even though it was another. Yeah, same thing happened in uh, with Barnett. You know, he had some problems. We all... The Nations is a team effort, and mm-hmm. no matter who has a trouble, needs the work, all riders, all mechanics are working on somebody else's bike. And it's weird kind of to be working on a Yamaha right. or to be working on a Suzuki or whatever. But, you know, it's for the country and the effort and all that, and everybody pitches in. So it's you all hands do. on deck. But rider-wise, um, I almost had the chance. When I started with David, I was, you know, Hannah just joined the team, sure. too. And yeah. I was, you know, at the moment kind of thinking I'd be put in with Bob. Mm-hmm. And I was a little sorry at the time when that didn't work out. Uh, but then uh, David and I, it just motivated us to work extra hard, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, so certainly no regrets there. I like Bob a lot. I think we did done well together he mm-hmm. was certainly a challenging guy um yeah people don't understand that you know he never won a title after he broke his leg and that's true yeah. when he was water skiing but according to bob oliver who uh, who i've talked to when i was at yamaha 83 84 bob Hanna was killing everybody if he wasn't hurt right yeah Boy, he yeah, he was the top dog, and uh, I think he yeah, things kind of fell short for him. He should have should have uh, done better. You know, he certainly yeah. was up to speed and had the potential and the drive, and was going to prove everybody that he was back and all that. Just things sort of um, 
didn't quite work out, but um, you know, we we made it extra hard for him. Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. Um, well, Cliff, um, thank you for doing this podcast. I didn't ask you about Jan Eric Salquist in Canada. I didn't ask you about the box fan exploding. I didn't get to ask you about <laughs> Ricky's bike setup in the back end. I, I, we got to do a part two down the road. We have to. Um, yeah. um, I appreciate your time. Uh, a great and a legendary career in the sport um, as a mechanic, team manager, motor guy. Uh, um, yeah, just somebody really to look up to for anybody who's uh, who's listening and wants to, uh, you know, wants to end emulate you that'd be that'd be fantastic um thanks for your time thank you you're sure welcome i appreciate it and uh and yeah can, can we do a part two down the road please we can do a part two down the road awesome thanks cliff and as long as you got a lot of notes that you can jog my I, poor memory i've got them for sure all so, right all right thank you <laughs> see ya thanks for listening to the steve mathis show presented by fox racing forget to check out some of our past shows including motocross legends such as the bad boy rick johnson i looked down and my hand was junk i mean yeah. it was sitting over to the side the tendons were jerking in weird places and my biggest disappointment with danny store because that he never said sorry because danny and i were friends and we've never talked since brian lunas before the 500 event dave and i fly to germany go down to stuttgart there's this little shop out the back of the mall factory we get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, hey,